to just a bit more business before. Welcome, and here, here. This is Here, Here, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my fiction story, What There Is to Be Done. I'm excited to share this with you one chapter at a time. If you're interested in getting your hands on a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. If you're interested in reaching out, I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or drop an email to dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. All right, you hit play, so it's time to hear here. If you're driving or running or working, I'm glad to be along with you. Maybe grab a drink later? If you're somewhere safe, raise a glass and toast a blessing to our Catholic schools, our students and teachers, and our imperfect but faithful endeavor to teach the faith. I'll join you. Here, here. Cheers and enjoy. It had finally happened. Final exams days meant half days for instruction, though still full days for teachers. After proctoring exams for three 90-minute periods, they had to do some whiplash grading. So even as students depopulated the hallways earlier than usual, the teachers had their hands more than full with the feverish flourishes of red pens and the tedium of entering grades and executing final calculations. The pro for Teresa was that it opened up more time for meetings within the contracted day for the teachers. And the end of the year also meant the clock was ticking to get teachers their contracts and send them into the summer with the certainty they deserved to have had locked up weeks ago. This more perfect storm produced a meeting invitation that arrived in Teresa's email inbox during the middle of the three exam days. Francis asked her to come down for a meeting on the following day, after the last exam. Teresa's heart fluttered at the notification on her phone. She waited until the end of the exam periods to open it and confirm the invite. Her calm peace had been pretty undisturbed these last few days, but her body couldn't resist ratcheting up the nerves for a few minutes. It was finally her chance to accept this exciting offer. The meeting was a bit anticlimactic. Frances offered the usual pleasantries and check-in, which Teresa appreciated. She reciprocated to her boss, and Frances admitted to things having become a mess. Teresa wondered if she'd hint toward any personnel, enrollment, or budget issues. Frances did not. Instead, the principal moved the conversation forward briskly. Frances closed a folio, set it on her lap, and looked right across at Teresa to say, So, as she took a de-stressing breath, would you like to become our new director of student life? Teresa's smile gave away her answer. Frances returned the smile and raised her eyebrows a smidge. Teresa, through her smile, said the word, yes. Frances stood up and walked around her desk toward Teresa. The age difference and, frankly, the personality contrasts made Frances feel like a definite superior to Teresa. But in the moment, Frances's vulnerable, authentic reaction, an embrace of excitement, pride, and relief, felt like one you might get from one of your younger aunts or maybe one of the older cousins. Two accomplished, competent, compassionate female educators got to deviate from some of the more textbook decorum of professionalism and boundaries 
and just appreciate each other. Teresa stood up from her chair to meet Francis, and the two shared a hug. As lovely a moment as it was, Francis all but kicked her out after it. The boss had carved out a lean ten minutes to complete this formality, and needed to get her nose back to some grindstone. Teresa smiled and left, trying not to think too much about the additional formalities that remained. Contract details like salary, vacation time, and year-round work expectations. Process-oriented things like how and when to sign, and what to do with her teaching stuff, where her office would be, etc. For now, Teresa, acknowledging the visible, physical mess that remained around Francis's office, as well as the intangible mess all over, was just glad to know her work in making a decision had now met its reception in the school's formal acceptance. She'd be happier when it was in writing, but this segment of the journey seemed complete. The following week, sitting in the final faculty meetings for the days that followed the end of the school year, Teresa had a different attitude about the decision. Before, she felt uncomfortable sharing her choice to accept the offer and held it tightly away from small talk and interactions with most colleagues. Now that the decision had been made, the lid was off. Some people might have no clue, but for others, word would get around promptly through the teacher grapevine, a veritable pipeline of information unparalleled in most other parts of society. One might wonder how an astonishingly brief conversation in a private office meeting just a few days before could create a piece of news known from wing to wing of a multi-story school building, but this was the magnitude of faculty gossip. So far that week, Teresa had certainly received some garden-variety feedback. An old gym teacher and assistant football coach who supervised an intramurals program in student life told her, Way to go, Teresa, in his hard-to-pin-down accent. Hope my stipend is safe, and don't be afraid to add a little extra, he joked, sort of. Teresa was trying to remember his program. Intramurals, was it? The very dear lady who manned the front desk by the school's main entry was very excited for Teresa. So happy for you, she exclaimed to Teresa one morning that week. So happy, too, to see a young woman stepping into the job, she added, more quietly in a more discreet tone, thinking of her own two daughters who graduated from the high school in the past few years. Good old overworked Aaron, chirping from his perch straddling academic departments, congratulated her, too, sort of. Attaway, Mrs. A. I think you can do it, but it won't be a walk in the park either, Aaron told her, almost as if responding to an argument no one was having. Then there were the more troubling and challenging interactions. The fine arts teacher who directed the theater shows approached Teresa with a certain stridency. The two of them had a solid working relationship, but a non-existent, non-attempted personal relationship. Teresa understood her as a creative, and she understood Teresa as a manager, but they never connected beyond that transactional relationship. When you have a chance, I'd love to meet to talk about the budgets for next year, she blurted, aggravating Teresa's pet peeve of skipping to business before checking in. Have a good summer. This was a first example of a relationship Teresa would have to hone in on and strengthen if she was to be an effective director. Later in the week, one of the physics teachers approached her about the academic team he moderated for competitions. Teresa, how are you? Congratulations, he started. She thanked him and asked how things were going. It was a decent year. As you know, our Mary Mother of God, Doctors of the Church, made a heck of a run in the regional competition. I'd like to explore getting us involved in the statewide and bigger contests too, but... Joanne was never a fan. We should talk about it, he presumed. Teresa was certainly open to a conversation, but she found the looming budget pressures especially anxiety-inducing, since she didn't even know her own salary, let alone how the budget of the entire student life operation worked. Akutis! Double my stipend! Eliminate five other clubs! Bankroll my trip to Hawaii! This was just Mike being a blowhard. I bet you've heard some fun ones this week, he said. We should have made a bingo card, Teresa quipped, as they waited for this last meeting of a week of meetings to start. 
Most everyone was seated. A few stragglers wandered in at the last minute. Francis was standing in the front of the room, and Father James was making his way toward her to get things started. Thank you, everyone, for a great week, for a great year, Francis announced, as the din of teacher chatter faded to quiet. I wanted to start this last meet. Francis got cut off and drowned out by thunderous applause and bits of hooting and hollering, perhaps from some folks who were especially looking forward to the school-subsidized happy hour at the conclusion of this meeting. The word last had induced a raucous reaction. Nothing like a bunch of teachers who don't have to come back to work for six weeks, blowing off steam at the end of a year in the early afternoon and mass. Sun-drenched day drinking was just hours away. Frances was laughing. She knew it was a bit at her expense, but she also knew the struggle to turn around hiring and staff and thickened everyone's stress. She was ready to share a laugh with them and get on from this school year. Frances seemed more relaxed than she had in previous weeks, but no one really had much of a sense of the what, how, and why behind the complexities she was navigating. You guys make me laugh, and I needed a good laugh, she sighed. So, I wanted to start today with a prayer from our dear chaplain. Take it away, Father James. Father James walked a few steps toward Francis and took a place at the front of the room. For as surly as the boisterous reaction had just gotten, teachers were an oddly attentive sort when they knew the end was near, suddenly able to behave a bit if it earned them summer parole more quickly. For Francis and James, it was an easier sell to ask for attention to just a bit more business before teachers got their release for their longest break of the year. First of all, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for all you did, for all you do, and for all you will yet do, their priest started. I'm not sure how many of you know this, but before I became a priest, I was a Catholic high school teacher. So being here with you in all the ways that I can be here, it's close to my heart. I once was talking with some colleagues who I considered kindred spirits and friends. We knew some folks who had taught at times in both public schools and Catholic schools. The thing we would hear from old coworkers who were leaving or who had just left was that they couldn't believe the pay difference versus each public school check than they were getting before. And at a moment of dissatisfaction with one's role in a Catholic school, the sometimes inadequate financial compensation can really feel like a body blow. So for these couple of folks who moved on, the chance to realize more of their earning power was quite the allure. We sort of talked around it and agreed, a higher salary would be mighty sweet. And then our conversation continued to the things we could do only by continuing to teach in a Catholic school. We could share our faith with our students in and out of the classroom, in theology and ministry, and in any subject or student life area. We could uniquely invite a whole student approach into our work and teaching, and we could plug into a national and international network and system and movement of people striving for the common good together, James explained. Teresa was following him, but she was a little confused. Is he setting the stage for sharing some rough news? Is there about to be a pay cut coming down? Is he leaving? At this point, she didn't feel in danger of screw-taping this. She just genuinely wondered, on an authentically curious level and on a meta-rhetorical level, what he was getting at. Now, we didn't want to be dismissive of our friends and other peers in public education. It's an important and valuable service, and they were stepping into a career role that meets an immense societal need. But when we were talking about our potential jealousy of their compensation, we began to trade stories each of our friends had shared of their work at public school. It was hard to pin down what was different, and we knew each school has different challenges and successes. But we all got the feeling that these folks who had left were less happy than they were when teaching at a Catholic school. Something about being at a school like this, something about working with students and families like this, something about inviting our whole selves and our faith into our work brought a different feel. And I'll never forget what my old coworker said. We might have to pay a bit of a happiness tax, but I'm glad I work here. Okay, okay, Teresa thought. I see you, Father James. 
Teresa appreciated that Father James was offering a bit of a pep talk as teachers split for the year, and not just saving the rah-rah encouragement for the surely haggard start of the year to come. Father James wasn't one to hit a drop-the-mic moment or pile on over-the-top body language and facial expressions that puffed up his point. Instead, he just gently grinned and continued, I know you all pay a happiness tax. I wish it wasn't set up that way. I can't fix it in this moment, but I hope that as you look back on another year and consider the prospects of a new one coming up, that you can see some happiness that is clear here and look forward to more happiness yet to come. Let us pray. Most of the folks in the room adjusted their postures, heads bowed, hands folded, backs straightened or hunched respectively. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, the chaplain said. Dear Lord, on the way to the cross and into your rising, your friends and followers were so thrown off, so inconsistent, so scattered. Peter panicked and became violent when guards came to arrest you, and he later denied you. The women on the road to Golgotha wept upon seeing you. John and Mary accompanied you to the cross in speechless solidarity. Mary Magdalene almost didn't recognize you in your rising. The disciples on the road were so thrown off they lost hold of their faith in the scriptures. Thomas doubted that you had returned. But in your rising from the dead, you came back to us and remain with us always, in the Holy Spirit, in our church, and in the breaking of the bread. Peter remains your rock and gave us successors who lead in your name. Mary becomes apostle to the apostles, the bearer of the greatest news of resurrection. John sprints to your tomb and celebrates your rising. Thomas offers his blessings to those who believe without seeing. Carry us through our doubts, our skepticisms, our shortcomings, and stay with us to accompany us to our rediscovered and renewed happiness. Help us be witnesses of your presence and the movement of your spirit. Help us bring people together as part of someone and something bigger than each of us on our own. Help us to be community builders that gather people together to recognize you in the breaking of the bread. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The group chimed in at uneven, staggered Catholic intervals. Mary, Mother of God, Father James invoked. Pray for us, they all said together, in neater unison. Thank you, everyone. May Almighty God bless all of us, our students, and especially our school community and its families. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a great summer, friends, he concluded. The faculty offered Father James a solid round of applause as Francis returned to take the mic. Dang, Teresa thought. He almost took myself homily. Thanks to Father James. So glad he will remain with us next year and hopefully for many years to come, Francis said. Well, before we wrap up, we always like to acknowledge the folks who will not be back with us next year. Teresa was happy to provide courteous body language and eye contact, but she was now ready to drift into a daydreamy and imaginative reflection upon her upcoming year. She had so many questions and hypotheticals and varied avenues to walk in her ponderings. We'll get back to the book shortly, but first, the last few years have seen a boom in the use of smart speakers, handy plug-in items to place around your home and help you play music, turn lights off and on, and check the weather. But we all know that it's not just Amazon and Google who listen to everything we say, God is listening too. So now, there's Seamus and Shaban, the smart speaker extension for Catholics, made by Irish Catholics. Add Seamus and Shaban to your speaker to hear the latest lotto number results and get reminders for bingo nights. Keep track of your month's minds and death anniversaries, and get live alerts when someone on the parish sick list has passed away. Seamus and Javon will even track meetings and formation nights for sacramental prep. Mass schedule check plug-in still pending. So, we hope you'll download Seamus and Javon so that your smart speaker will rise to meet you and the spiritual winds may be at your back, God willing. 
I'm not on Instagram, and I'm a selective poster and moderate lurker on Facebook, where I share the Restless Heart blog posts. But I'm most active on Twitter, where I actually really enjoy the Catholic presence of many thoughtful and faithful people. I want to recommend a few of my favorite follows to you here. This week, I invite you to follow Father Bill Daly, CSC. He tweets at WRDCSC. WRDCSC. Father Daly is a priest of the Congregation of the Holy Cross, a residence hall rector at the University of Notre Dame, and a fellow at the University Center for Ethics and Culture. He earned a law degree from Columbia Law School and has practiced law and served as a law clerk. Father Daly's commentary on matters of ethics and morality as pertains to the law of the land are measured, insightful, and fair. He honors both his Catholic faith as well as his legal education as he offers analysis on the recent developments in legislation and legal decisions. His unique background and distinct perspective make him an excellent follow. Follow Father Daly at WRDCSC. That's WRDCSC. Really, the truer part of Teresa wanted to pin someone down and insist on some more particulars about her new job, but she just felt like it would have been a lot of work and pressure for something that was unlikely to transpire. Instead, now seemed like a good time to dream big, at least for a little bit, before she could sink too deep under the weights of uncertainties. She knew that, especially in the early going next year, she'd face plenty of criticism, both fair and unfair. So in this moment, she decided to float away toward the big dreams. Her mind drifted toward the ideas that had started to coalesce back when she was wondering if she might take this job, and the nebulous brainstorm had really solidified as her decision to accept came into greater focus. Cue the harpy sound effects and the frosted edges of the screen. Teresa was imagining the future she thought was coming within reach. It's five years later. Teresa is standing in a gym full of the whole student body. It's homecoming week in fall, the Friday afternoon before the big football game that night, and the dance that Saturday. The customary pep rally used to just be class versus class cheers and games, all building up to the introduction of the fall sports teams, primarily the football guys. It was okay, mostly obligatory. Now it has been revamped. Four color-coded sections of students are waist-deep into four different sets of cheers. Their shirts and signs and streamers match their houses, but the end of the rally will unite them all behind the school and team. There are house leaders running laps with banners, freshmen in the front of house bleacher section spelling their house's names one letter at a time, teachers scattered among each corner of the gym, covering the spread from the tentative female teacher with just an accent scarf for effect, all the way to the fired-up young male teacher with a painted face and cape. It's controlled chaos, and Teresa thinks it's beautiful. Teresa had taken her first year to learn the ropes, to see the world from a different vantage point, to establish herself in the new versions of her relationships in her new role. In the background, she laid the groundwork for establishing Mary, Mother of God's first house system. She talked to the five student council class moderators who oversaw each year's council and the executive officers to feel out their interest and understanding, learning that they were open to a restructuring and taking charge of houses. She was especially excited to know that the lead teacher of the officers group had been lobbying for a leadership course elective for juniors and seniors, and that she thought a new structure could help fuel the institution of this new class. Teresa was happy to help with curriculum, co-teaching, and logistics. Teresa had floated the idea to Francis to do in-school competition in a new way, and fuel student spirit and achievement, a way that minimized class-versus-class rivalry and instead strived to build relationships across classes and create a different identity within the school. Francis was intrigued, especially after Teresa brought it forward as her initiative, 
and offered comparable schools, models, and experience as proof of concept. Teresa talked to a few of her old social studies colleagues and some of the club moderators about the informal yet exciting role teachers could play. Some were excited to help design new spirit wear. Others were intrigued by getting to compete alongside their students. Aaron was especially pleased to become a lunatic spirit builder for his house. Finally, Teresa ran the ideas by Father James to get some faith formation into the house system. She suggested house-specific masses, service trips, and maybe even retreat small groups to help them bond. Perhaps most importantly, Teresa needed four house names. Father James got excited. Do we name them after Marian feasts, like Immaculate Conception and Mother of God? No. After Marian apparition sites, like Fatima, Nock, Tepeyac, and Lourdes? No. After mysteries, yes. Annunciation, Visitation, Nativity, and Coronation. He was on board. The network of support held up as Francis gave formal approval. The business office appropriated the proper budget revisions and slight increases, and the faculty and staff slowly bought in. The pitch to the students started with elections in the spring of her first year. It was a new and unknown thing to offer, but she closed the deal by selling her students on becoming the inaugurators of a new and major school tradition. Student council elections became house leadership elections. The prospect of getting to lead a new house, whose colors and logos and traditions and cheers and dynamics were as yet unwritten, led to a record number of students applying to run. And they were actually more excited when told they wouldn't be sorted into houses until after they were elected on an at-large basis, ultimately with a senior head of house and junior assistant head of house being matched to each new sub-community and serving on a joint school-wide leadership council. The campaign was fun, open-ended excitement as ideas flew in campaign posters and speeches and videos, promises of themed days, special treats to celebrate house feasts, a mascot with costume for pep rallies, and more. Each house of about 125 students would have two at-large leaders for each class, serving with the senior head and junior assistant, and Teresa was delighted by the energy, the turnout, and the slate of leaders the vote produced. Those first leaders charted a robust course of creativity and vitality as the house system emerged. Father James's Marian Mysteries carried the day, and four houses were born of the piety of the rosary. The sheer white of the Annunciation, the familial loving red of the Visitation, the royal blue in the birth of the king at the Nativity, and the shining yellow and gold for Mary's coronation as Queen of Heaven. The Executive Council and their moderator commissioned special icons through an open contest jointly run by Campus Ministry, the Theology Department, and the Art Department. The houses each got student-designed logos from the Advanced Graphic Design class. The athletic director was super pumped to stoke the rivalry and pride, so he connected Teresa to the Athletics Uniform Company and built out an epic store of spirit wear and fan gear for students to snag. She even set pop-up sales where portions of the proceeds would benefit houses selected charities for that year. Students learned the feast days for their namesakes, perhaps easiest for the Nativity House kids, though they'd never be in school for theirs, and planned exciting days of dress-down, potluck desserts, and service projects to honor Mary on their day. Meanwhile, Teresa worked with Francis, as well as their Dean of Students and Counseling Department, to build out a spreadsheet of some key metrics for student performance. They created a formula that could run live GPA averages for each house and track academic achievement at each mid-quarter progress report and quarters or semesters ends. They extracted a way to track discipline referrals and levels of infractions that could numerically represent the behavior of each house and incentivize good citizenship. They funneled attendance records into a tracker that could reward the houses who came to school most consistently. And they looked for more subjective and informal ways to honor students' everyday good living, ultimately giving teachers an online portal 
where they could acknowledge an extraordinary action by a student and award special points, either unspoken or with a notification to the students. Teresa opted to trust that teachers wouldn't just stack the deck for their own house, though she would have been kind of delighted if they did. All of this added up to some of the many ways that students could score house points, a commodity that started as an abstraction, but became a reasonably exciting fuel for many students to dig in and do well. Teresa started small with a shared spreadsheet that was viewable online and over social media. It tracked the live points wherever new data came in at mid-quarters from pep rallies or from weekly teacher awards. The demand to see the live scoring system became great enough that Teresa was able to get the IT and maintenance departments to install a dedicated flat screen TV for her. There she was able to create a house system live feed, pictures of recent pep rallies, service and special days, plugs and announcements from house leaders, attaboys for students who received personalized points from teachers, and yes, of course, a running scoreboard. The infrastructure and opportunities for incorporating houses grew and grew. Houses adopted varsity sports and took it upon themselves to send a representative cheering section to at least a few home games per season. Student leaders used house gatherings around pep rallies to plug the sports they played, the clubs they belonged to, and the school activities they loved to their housemates. Campus Ministry decided to make Freshman Retreat partially about houses. It now included a house-sorting opening prayer service, small groups made of freshmen and upperclassmen leaders from the same house, and finished with groups blessing brand new house shirts for the freshmen to wear for the first time at the closing mass. Extracurricular moderators were contacting Teresa to set up house incentives for attending non-athletic events, so she had to tabulate student attendance by house at events like the musical, the play, the band concerts, the dance recital, the art fair, and more. Students who may have otherwise blown these off now felt an extra pull to come see their friends and earn house points for their column. It was all taking off, and now in its fourth year, Teresa finally got to see a school assembly in which every student had been in their house since the moment they became a student there. This was the image of five years of building and buy-in and countless hours of networking and logistics and student empowerment. Teresa stood under the scoreboard just to the side of the main basket of the basketball center court. In front of her was a wild scene of students being wild and weird just for the happy sake of it, many hoping to will a football team to a big victory, many excited for a big dance on Saturday, but most everyone just being goofy and fun. Just in front of her to her left was the bright white Annunciation House. Many of the young ladies rocked glittery gold halos that skinny wires made float just above their heads. Some of the young men wore plastic Halloween costume grade shields and belts with paper or cardboard swords to invoke the Angel Gabriel. One of the house leaders, a boisterous junior boy in a $5 angel costume, walked down to the gym floor in front of their bleacher section. He raised his sword up and his housemates turned to him and quieted down most of the way. That teenage angel turned to them and shouted, Hail, favored ones! The Lord is with you! The section erupted in screams. He then turned to face them directly, adopted a strong and sturdy shoulder-width stance, and raised his hands straight up in fists as the house section did the same. Annunciation! The group shouted back, House! As they parted their still outstretched arms into a V-shape, and opened their fists into a gesture of blessing. The call and response repeated faster and faster until the two words blurred together and the students just screamed. On the same side of the gym in the far corner were the children of Visitation House. Decked out in their house's bright red, their look was akin to that of a tacky Valentine's Day party. They weren't always as boisterous as the other houses, but their creativity was on par. As the rank-and-file members of the house took their seats in the bleachers, the head of house and assistant were at the foot of the seats, greeting each member almost like politicians. 
As each person approached, the leaders extended their hands and greeted them. Cousin? Cousin! 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 Occasionally, a few students laughed and blew them off. Most students stopped to participate in the house ritual, and some of them even flew past the handshake to give a big hug. Up in the bleachers, the other house leaders were walking around, handing out red pom-poms and noisemakers from a house pep crate and continuing the greetings. Cousins! They knew, and had been told repeatedly, that Mary and Elizabeth probably weren't literally cousins, probably distant cousins, or maybe even an aunt-niece pair. They didn't mind. They liked being family. Across the way in the far corner, the throng of royal blue was doled and muted a bit. The young men and women of Nativity House loved to dress up like a nativity scene. Sure, the ratios got a little disproportionate. There probably weren't 47 shepherds at the birth of Christ, but the sight was eclectic and hilarious. The highest-ranking male and female leaders always dressed as Mary and Joseph, respectively, and each year they invited a freshman, who they allowed to decline or accept, to dress as a baby for each pep rally. They provided the freshman a royal blue oversized rattle and comically large white bonnet with a big blue N on it. On this day, a freshman boy was wearing a baby blue fleece, footed onesie, and donning the ceremonial house baby garb. Additionally, a new tradition dawned today, as now a sophomore was invited to be the Christmas star a young lady donning a gold sequin top and jeans with glittery gold shoes and a yellow gold cap was sitting at the center of the top row. Teresa had heard murmurs that a star costume top was on its way. On top of it all, rather than loud chants, the house leaders just had a whiteboard. They'd write the name of a Christmas song and start singing, and most everyone would join in. They covered everything from Jingle Bells to Hark the Herald Angels Sing to All I Want for Christmas is You. Sometimes it was group karaoke, and other times it was a spirited solo or small group performance. Finally, in the last corner were the weird and wild folks of Coronation House. Predictable as it may be, the unanimity with which everyone wore crowns was quite a sight to see. Each pep rally reminded the faculty and staff that, yes, Burger King indeed still offered free paper crowns, which were ubiquitous across the Coronation bleachers and quite popular with the younger guys. Many of the girls opted for tiaras and crown headbands. The head of house and assistant had special gold capes with fringes. At the foot of the bleachers, they had a long, clearly fake rubber snake. They set it at the bottom of the aisle, and all the coronation kids stepped on it as they went to climb the bleachers. Their favorite and oft-used house chant? Teresa always laughed. I, the house leaders yelled, all ten of them together, leading the call and response. I, the house replied. I believe. I believe. I believe that. I believe that, they echoed. I believe that she, the leaders called, started to smile and bounce. I believe that she, the students were getting ready to pop. I believe that she is queen. Now it broke into a full chant in unison with the leaders and the whole house. I believe that she is queen. I believe that she is queen. I believe that she is queen. The bleachers were bouncing, mostly metaphorically, but even a bit literally. It usually got pretty rowdy, but the house teachers kept it on the safe side of dangerous. It was always pretty entertaining and funny. The sight of these four corners of chaos manifested the pinnacle of what Teresa hoped for, and the clear vivid images that so lucidly materialized when she let herself dream, and dream so concretely, reflected the passion she felt about how well this idea could potentially go, and how impactful it could be for student life across the school community. At that point, a round of applause in the present-day meeting snapped Teresa back to attention in the moment. The dreamy haze faded as Frances had finished wishing the departing teachers well, and the faculty and staff gave a big ovation to that group. Mike leaned over toward her. Your turn. Oof. 
Teresa had forgotten that her new role would be formally announced here. She needed a moment to gather herself and tried to maintain a respectful posture to the festivities while briefly checking her phone. She had new messages in her work inbox and figured it was some pro forma type end of the year announcements to everyone. When she opened her inbox, what she found was a direct email from Francis with an attachment. Dear Teresa, she read to herself silently, congratulations again on this new role. I believe you will do a great job and I'm excited to work more closely with you. Please review the attached contract and return to signed copy as soon as you can. God bless, Francis. Teresa hardly savored the words before her fingertip fumbled toward tapping the attachment below. The PDF popped open and her eyes scanned it feverishly. The salary number certainly popped out to her, not necessarily because it was a huge number in raw terms, but because it was a significant raise from her teacher's salary and an exciting affirmation of her promotion. A smile crept across her face as she skimmed forward. 12-month contract, reporting directly to principal, all Mondays to Fridays, summer hours reduced, three weeks pre-planned vacation or emergency absences, plus staff paid holidays, supervision of all extracurricular student activities, including but not limited to student government, fine performing and visual arts extensions and more, management of student life, budgeting, stipends and logistics, other duties as assigned by the principal, as Teresa read, she realized she was looking at a basic teacher contract, much like what she had always signed, but now with a bigger salary number and a hefty additional section on administrative duties. She definitely wanted to pour over it more carefully later, but in the moment, it settled her to know things had made it into writing. We're very excited for that. And finally, our very own Teresa Akutis, following Joanne's retirement, will be assuming the role of Director of Student Life. Teresa, Francis announced. Teresa let out some air and stood straight up to smile and acknowledge the announcement. Here we go. Well, that's all for this week. Remember, if you want to grab a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. Finally, thank you for listening. May God bless you and all our Catholic school communities. And to you and your prayers and toasts, hear, hear. The guitar instrumentals on this podcast are improvised and performed by Jason Pham. This book and podcast are copyright Dan Masterton 2021, all rights reserved.